Father God, it's a privilege that we can come before you, a holy and righteous God, all because of what you've done for us in Jesus. Well, thank you for that privilege we have, and thank you for the privilege that you give us, that we can freely come to your word, and that you promise that you speak to us by your spirit through your word, that you show us Christ, and that you use your word to equip us, encourage us, challenge us, and grow us to live more and more as your disciples. Lord, as we open Acts today and through the coming term, help us to be tuned to you. And Lord, we pray that you would be opening our hearts, encouraging us, challenging us, and helping us to be your people in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, one of my favourite restaurants uh, was a ribs place in Sydney called Hurricanes. Back then, there were only a few of these stores, and they were only down in Sydney. And me and my friends, we used to road trip down. And when we got to North Sydney, uh, we would always call Hurricanes down in Bondi. So, and we'd put our takeaway order in for ribs, so that when we got to Bondi, we could get our ribs fresh. I remember one of these road trips. Uh, we had about 10 people in three cars, and we ordered eight full racks of ribs. And we were eating them while sitting on the floor in someone's living room at about 9 or 10 p.m. Well, back in 2012, Hurricanes decided to venture north. They opened up a restaurant at Surfers on the Gold Coast, and my friends and I, we got really excited hearing this news. We are saying things like, we would be there all the time. It's just a one-hour drive instead of a 12-hour drive. So Hurricanes crossed borders and opened. Well, me and my friends, we've been there a few times. But by and large, because of crazy price hikes and the lowering of quality, Hurricanes, which was a big deal for us 15 years ago, it isn't a big deal anymore. Well, this morning, as we look at the advancement of the gospel, as we return to the book of Acts, you might remember last year, uh, or if you skim through chapter 11 to 15, uh, we see the good news of Jesus going far and wide all around Asia Minor. There's a good dose of opposition there too. And in Acts 15, if you skim there, there's an important meeting called the Jerusalem Council, and this council, this meeting, affirms uh, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And this meeting also ensured that Jewish Christians weren't adding to the gospel message, but also Gentile Christians weren't stumbling the Jewish Christians as they lived for Jesus. And you might see right at the end of Acts chapter 15, as Paul sets off on another journey, a journey that will take them across the borders from Asia into Europe, we see there's a disagreement there, and Paul and Barnabas go separate ways. So as we pick up Acts 16 this morning, I think there's a lot of questions as we flip that page. Will this gospel message still spread? Will Paul's ministry be effective after this council decision? How will it go as they go through borders into Europe? Will this Jerusalem council verdict be well received by the churches? Or won't it? 
Is this the end of the line for the good news? One border too far, one meeting too far. Will it become like hurricanes, once well-loved spread, but now not a big deal anymore? Well, we're going to tackle Acts 16. It's a long chapter. We're going to tackle it like a sightseeing tour. There's lots of different things going on. But I think Acts 16 answers the question of whether the gospel will keep moving. And it answers this question with a resounding yes. We see Paul making his way through a few, a few regions he's visited before. Then he moves to new frontiers into Europe. And we read of at least three people and their encounters with the good news of life in Jesus. So we're going to tackle in a bird's eye view, Act 16, and we're going to see seven quick things we learn about God's mission in this chapter. And the first thing is in verse 1 to 3. Have a look. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Here we pick up Paul at the early part of his traveling. It's sometimes referred to as the second missionary trip of his. He's gone through Syria, Cilicia, in the region of Turkey, and now he's at Derby and Lystra in Asia Minor, places he visited in chapter 14. And here we meet Timothy, who we heard about last year in the letter to the Philippians, and is also the same guy who Paul writes to in 1 and 2 Timothy. And here, as Paul recruits Timothy to be part of his missionary band, he asks something quite interesting of Timothy. He gets Timothy circumcised. And you might ask, hang on, look back at Acts 15. Didn't they just say circumcision wasn't necessary for salvation? Why is Paul doing this right after that decision? Well, you see, Paul wanted Timothy circumcised not for salvation reasons, not to be more of a Christian, but he wanted Timothy circumcised for mission reasons. You see, Timothy's mom was a Jew, so technically Timothy should have been circumcised as a baby, and not being circumcised for him would have opened questions for Timothy and his Jewish identity, his integrity, his character, while sharing the gospel message. So in fact, this doesn't go against the Jerusalem Council at all. Salvation still is grace by faith through, through faith in Christ alone. But what we do see here is the wisdom of Paul and the lengths that Timothy goes to remove a barrier and be wise for mission. You see, we want people to encounter the life-giving message of Jesus. And we want to be wise about it. We want to get rid of unnecessary barriers that might stop people from encountering the gospel message. And for Timothy, 
it was circumcision. Not that him being circumcised is going to automatically translate to saving others, but it does remove a barrier, a stumbling block, a brick wall, an unnecessary diversion and distraction that stops people from getting to hear the gospel message. Paul's not telling all of us to get circumcised, thankfully. But what about you? How can you be wise for mission today? How can we remove barriers so that people can clearly hear the gospel message? And how can we as a church be wise for mission today and remove unnecessary barriers that can be stumbling blocks that distract people from hearing the gospel message. We can ask this about what we do, what we say, big things, small things. I think we're so used to, in today's society, in asking the question first, is this good for me? What am I getting out of it? Does this give me joy? We're used to preferencing ourselves, our perspective, thinking about ourselves. But I think with this point, it's asking us to line our questions less on ourselves and more about God and his mission. And to replace those me questions and to ask things like, is this wise in helping God's mission? Is this good not for me, but for the work of God's kingdom? Does this help more people to encounter Jesus? Or does it, in fact, stumble people from encountering Jesus? Timothy, he did this over circumcision. He did this for the cause of the gospel. First thing, be wise for mission. Let's remove unnecessary barriers that stop people from getting a chance to hear the gospel message. As we keep going, the second thing we see is in verse 4 and 5. It says in Acts, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. There's a train of thought in the church that says, Theology doesn't matter. The details don't matter. Just go out and talk about Jesus. But here we see announcing the decisions from the most serious theological meeting in the early church, affirming the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, and nutting out in this meeting what this means for practical matters and how people are to behave. And note how these meeting decisions were received. The churches, they didn't go boring, whatever, just another meeting, just some more decisions that were made. It says they were strengthened in the faith, encouraged, emboldened. It actually led to mission and increase in numbers daily. You see, theology fuels mission, which is our second thing to note here. You see, a robust 
clear understanding of the good news of Jesus, it fuels and flames the mission. So as we embark this year on our vision, a church on mission, we're not ditching the Bible and going out to share Jesus. In fact, we want a robust understanding of God's word to push and fuel and motivate us as God's people and to motivate us towards mission. That's why we're doing that discipleship training course next month. Theology fuels mission. Grasping God's word leads to grasping God's mission. I heard on the radio last week, uh, someone put the wrong fuel in their cars. You always think about what happens, and someone did that. And the car lasted a few kilometers from the servo, and then it just stopped. Well, let's not make that mistake and put the wrong fuel into our tanks for mission. Let me ask you this morning, how is theology fueling you for mission today? How is the Bible in your life fueling your heart for mission? You see, theology fuels mission. As we keep going, as we said, it's a sightseeing tour. I've met a few people who are very adamant and clear. They say, I'm going to be a pastor at this church. I'm going to be a missionary to this country. I'm going to live as a Christian in this way. And while it's great to have a plan, we all have to remember that we have to hold our plans lightly because in the end, God is sovereign. He's in control. He's the one who leads his mission, which is our third thing today. Have a look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Maesia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas. You see, Paul, he continues on his travels. He wants to go south, if we see the map in the next slide. He wants to go south into the region of Asia. But for whatever reason, maybe there was a roadblock. Maybe they couldn't get into the area. Maybe they heard news about the area. Maybe something else stopped them. We're not really told. But Paul understands it's the Holy Spirit at work. God isn't leading them there. Then Paul, he wants to go to the next place. He wants to go north to Bithynia, bordering the Black Sea north of Turkey. But again, for whatever reason, it says they tried, they tempted, but they couldn't get in. And Paul, again, he understands it's the Spirit of Jesus. God isn't leading them either. So they go west to Troas. And we pick up in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him to say, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, Paul, he has a vision, 
And after seeing this vision, Paul, he understands God. He doesn't allow us to go south or north. He wants us to go west across the sea into Europe, into the region of Macedonia. You see, people can come up with plans. Paul came up with plans. But God leads his mission. Here in this critical part of salvation history, we see God leading Paul in a supernatural and powerful way, closing doors and opening a new door. And while we aren't Paul, and we're not in that critical time of the early church, God still leads his mission today. And while we have plans, we look, we're to look in the end, ultimately, to God's leading. He'll open doors and close doors. He'll do that in the ebbs and flows of life. And our role, your role, is to look to God's leading. Maybe in a part of your life, God is opening a door for the gospel. Maybe in another part of your life, God is closing a door for the gospel. And God will open and close doors in our church lives too, opening doors of opportunity and closing doors that he doesn't want us to go down. And our role is to follow him. What opportunities is God giving us today for mission? And what opportunities might he have closed for you and for us for mission? Let's remember that God leads his mission. We've got to keep speeding up a bit as we get through the next few points. If you follow in your Bibles, verse 11 and 12, quick overview. Paul and the gang, they sail over, they get to Europe. They get to this region of Macedonia and the major city of Philippi. Verse 13, they continue their practice of preaching Jesus to the Jews first. And because Philippi didn't have a synagogue, the Jews would meet outside the gate. And they would meet near a river so that they could perform their ceremonial washings. So Paul, he goes there and shares the good news to the Jews next to the river. And this is what happens in verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. You see, as the gospel reaches Europe, we're asking the question, how are people going to respond? Well, Lydia was one of the women who hears Paul share Jesus. And Luke notes here she's wealthy. She's a trader, commercial trader. She's thoroughly Roman. Purple was the color of Rome. It's kind of like wearing maroon or blue. And she's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's a God-fearer who's hanging out with the Jews. An unlikely candidate. But Luke says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well. You see, God works in Lydia's heart. And she believes she's baptized, not just her, but her whole household finds life 
in Jesus. You see, as the gospel reaches Europe, people are still coming to faith in Jesus. It's the same story as before. And even though it's a new frontier, there's nothing new. God opens hearts as the plain gospel message is shared. I think sometimes we make God's mission too complicated. We want a complex strategy. We want a big event or rally. We want cool, attention-grabbing rides and attractions. We want a charismatic speaker to win them over. Sometimes we make it too complicated. So complicated that we count ourselves out of God's mission. How can God use me? Saying things like, I'm not one of those evangelists. I'm not a people person. I'm not eloquent. I'm not confident in talking about Jesus. But as we see with Lydia here, God, he's the one who opens people's hearts. He does the heavy lifting. He does the hard work. And God, he calls us not to perform miracles, not to complicate it, not to shy out, but just simply to speak the plain message of salvation, the good news of life in Jesus. You see, that's what ultimately saves. And that's how God saves Lydia here, God opening her heart as the gospel message is shared. And that's the fourth thing we see here. So we keep going again to the next scene. Luke, he tells us of a fangirl that Paul has picked up. In fact, not just any fangirl, but one having a spirit of fortune-telling who was bringing a financial profit to her owners. And she followed Paul for a few days, shouting and saying things like that they were servants of God, proclaiming salvation, similar to the demon-possessed encounters of Jesus in the Gospels. Paul's patience finally snaps, and he casts out the demons. I'd love to have seen his patience snap. But the owners of this slave girl, they weren't too happy about this, because they lost a stream of income from the girl not having the spirit. So they seize Paul and the group, they drag them to the magistrate and accuse them of something completely different. And here we don't find what we would expect today, a fair trial, investigations, innocent until proven guilty. Have a look at verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Our fourth thing this morning, gospel work can lead to opposition. We see contrasting stories, don't we? With Lydia, she accepts the gospel message and their celebration. But with the slave girl and her owners, they oppose the gospel message, not just in ridicule 
and ostracizing, but in physical assault and harm. See, gospel work has always been met with opposition. It's not just a modern-day thing. It doesn't just happen in some cultures and not others. People, they can be so opposed to and aggravated at God and so hard-hearted to the good news of life in Jesus. And they can be so focused on their own worldly ambitions that they can and do terrible things when presented with the life-giving offer of trusting in Jesus. You see, the gospel is good news. It is the best news. It is the only way to eternal life. It is the only way to be in God's kingdom forever. But gospel work can and does lead to opposition. Let's not be surprised today. Let's not be caught off guard. Let's not be so used to the privileged status Christianity has had in society or the freedoms that we have in the Christian West that we run away from living out the gospel and sharing the gospel when opposition does arise. Let's not be surprised. Know that gospel work can and does lead to opposition. And this is linked with the next point, number six. God opens hearts for the gospel, even amidst opposition. You see, here in Acts, God knew exactly what he was doing. He leads his mission, even through opposition. God is using this circumstance here to make Jesus known. I think this section speaks for itself from verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. You see the scene, he focuses now on the jailer. He's the guy in charge of keeping the prisoners locked up. And classic Paul, he's singing praises to God while in jail. And then suddenly this earthquake happens. The jail doors open, the chains broken, The jailer sees this and begins to commit suicide from the shame of not doing his job. But imagine this. All the prisoners were still there. Paul and his band, but maybe even all the prisoners in this jail, they were still there after the earthquake, after the doors had opened, after all the shackles and chains were gone. And this, this was a lot for the jailer. It convicts him. He's heard the slave girl story, crying out that these men from God uh, were from God and they're declaring a way to be saved. He's heard the hymns and prayers of Paul. 
and now they saved his life by not escaping. He's thinking there's something different about Paul and his friends. Verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You see, God opens hearts for the gospel, even amidst opposition. It's actually because of opposition that Paul was in jail, that this jailer met Paul and his friends, and in God's sovereignty and his leading, this was the way for the jailer and his family for God to work in their hearts. For this jailer to ask that key question, what must I do to be saved? And to hear that response from Paul, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You see, in God's economy, in his sovereignty, in his leading, he's still advancing the good news of Jesus even during opposition. And I think this is a reminder for us today. Gospel work continues even amidst opposition. You see, it's not a time to pause being on God's mission. God, he still works to save sinners at all times, and especially during opposition. Finally, the seventh and the last thing to learn about God's mission here. Always consider the advancement of God's mission. It's a small and final point, uh, but have a look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You see, these officials, they wanted Paul to leave quietly, but Paul, using his rights as a Roman citizen, He wanted it to be seen publicly that that they were let go innocent and uncondemned. You might think Paul, 
He just wants justice. He just wants to write his name. It's all about him. But here I think, in a small way, Paul is concerned about God and his mission. He wanted the Philippians to know that they weren't criminals. They weren't doing things unlawfully, but that they were men of integrity, that gospel people are indeed good people. And the gospel message is indeed a good message. And even though it's a relatively small point, I think Luke, the author, he's showing Paul being wise, not unfaithful, but using his position, his privileges, and his situation as a means to advance God's mission, to give the people there a better hearing, a better chance of hearing the gospel, to sow seeds and lay the groundwork for fruitful gospel ministry. And we know that this happened as we read Paul's letter to the Philippians that we looked through last term. Always consider the advancement of God's mission. Consider this wisely, winsomely, opportunistically. Maybe at work, you're the boss. You're a team leader. You get to chat with your co-workers in a deep and meaningful way. Consider this and how you can wisely advance God's mission. Maybe in your family, you're a parent, grandparent, an older sibling. Consider this and consider how you can wisely advance God's mission in your family. Maybe it's like our first point today. Any situation, your high times in life, your great tragedies, how you, how you utilize those situations in what you do, what you say, how you respond, and to ask the question, how can you be wise in advancing God's mission? To consider not yourself first, which is what we're so accustomed to do, but to consider God's mission first and how we can advance it more and more. Well, we finally hit the end. We've had a whirlwind tour of Acts 16 today. It's not over yet because next week when Ken comes to do Acts 17, it's another whirlwind tour, on and on. Well, this morning we've seen open doors. We've seen open hearts. And we've seen the good news of life in Jesus continue to move. We've noticed seven things here this morning. To be wise for mission and remove barriers. That theology fuels mission. That God leads his mission. That God, he opens doors and people's hearts as the gospel is shared. That gospel work can and does lead to opposition. That God opens hearts for the gospel even amidst that opposition. And for us to always consider the advancement of God's mission. Maybe one or two of these especially challenge you this morning. As we look at Acts, and as we consider our vision this year of being a church on mission. But as we finish off, 
I think this chapter reminds us powerfully that the good news of Jesus, it is indeed God's power to save. And is this very message that still saves today. That, that this message is a message of life. It's won by Jesus. It's won as he died on the cross for our sins. As Jesus rose again into new life. And all you need to do is to trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. You see, this is the gospel message. Have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour? And is this the message that you will plainly proclaim as God opens people's hearts for Jesus? Let's pray for these as we finish off today. Father God, as we consider your good news of salvation being proclaimed in our community and in our world, Father, remind us that you indeed work to open people's hearts to Jesus as the gospel is shared. We see this in Lydia, in the jailer. We see this in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Father, help us to be attuned to your mission and give us wisdom in how and when you want us to share Jesus to those around us who are lost without him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.